This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. The conductor an orchestra chooses says a lot about how it sees its mission in the 21st century. Factors to consider include taste in repertoire, age, nationality, race, gender, fundraising skills, and, of course, musicianship. The New York Philharmonic and the National Symphony Orchestra in Washington are about to grapple with all of that as they look for successors to Alan Gilbert in New York and Christoph Eschenbach in Washington. They are both leaving their music director jobs in 2017. Here to talk about the conducting landscape are three guests. Anastasia Tsoulkas, who covers classical music for NPR Music, Zachary Wolf, a freelance classical music critic for The New York Times, and Nick Mathias, a senior vice president at IMG Artists, who manages the careers of a number of top conductors. Nick, I'm going to throw this out to you first. Deborah Borda, who is now the CEO of the Los Angeles Philharmonic, but who used to be the CEO of the New York Philharmonic, said, the day you appoint your music director is when you start looking for your next music director. The next music director of the New York Philharmonic has probably already been on the podium. Is that a statement you would agree with? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case, um, because clearly they're hardly going to appoint anybody that's not been tried and tested with the orchestra in the last few seasons. That would be foolish. And I think that uh, these days, um, a really prerequisite in appointing a music director is that the key, in my view, is a very special chemistry that must be really evident between the conductor and the orchestra right from the word go, ideally from the first time that conductor meets the orchestra in a rehearsal. And in my view, that's the most defining thing about an orchestra, uh, is if what happens on the concert platform is not right, then nothing's really right, because you can have as much hype and PR and media attention as you like, but if the music-making is not of the very highest level consistently, then um, there's no point in going ahead with, with an appointment. Zach and Anastasia, you are both in the position of sitting in the audience reviewing those concerts. Would you agree with that necessity for the spark? I do think so. And I mean, especially I, I get to hear the New York Philharmonic a lot. And while obviously this is an amazing orchestra, I think that it's in a place right now where there's a lot of building still that needs to happen. A lot of building on what Alan Gilbert has done in terms of really bringing the orchestra and its operations into the 21st century. But a lot of building that needs to be done in terms of somebody who can really get in there and make this orchestra even more technically secure. I mean, I was just at a concert where one up-and-coming young conductor, Stefan, hardly young, Stefan Deneuve, was making his debut. And he was an excellent conductor, but I was really newly aware of the fact that this is an orchestra that really needs a consummate musician, as well as somebody who is really forward-thinking in terms of what an orchestra's role is in the community in the 21st century. Well, I would say two things. First of all, I would agree in terms of technical finessing and sort of the fine sculpting work that still needs to be done a lot of the time in performances I've heard. I also think it's clearly important for an incoming music director in New York to continue, I hope, 
the work that Alan Gilbert has done that I find so admirable in terms of not just the community sort of work that you're talking about, but sort of shaping the repertoire that uh, an orchestra like the New York Philharmonic can and should be doing in the year 2017 and beyond. How much do you think that the chemistry factor plays into it? I mean, who really makes the decision when it comes to hiring? Is it the musicians? Is it the board? It's a combination, I think. I think clearly these days the musicians have to be listened to. There's no point in appointing someone if only a small minority are in favour. I mean, that's really, I think, foolish both for the conductor to take that role, knowing there's actually a a, a sort of modest amount of people in support of it. Nick, can can I just ask, as a manager of conductors, how much influence do you have there? How much can you lobby for people on your roster? Well, to be honest, I mean, I've helped place several conductors uh, in music director positions around the globe. But in each case, a role of a manager is is obviously to promote the artist and to say to an orchestra, I think you should try this conductor out. I think he or she has very special qualities which might connect with the orchestra well. But of course, you don't foist them on the orchestra at all. They have to trust you that if, if I'm saying that I think that it would, would be actually a good match, then try them out for a guest week. And if the chemistry clicks, then something may develop from there. If the chemistry doesn't click, just leave it. Well, but I think with, especially with the New York Philharmonic, when you're looking at the prospect of somebody who's going to really have to be a key person in the raising of a substantial nine figures in terms of the renovation yep. of Avery Fisher Hall, that... The board is obviously going to be very involved, and people. You want somebody Absolutely. who's not only exciting the musicians, Absolutely. but is going to be having agree. to excite the board. Yeah. And obviously, the point man, in terms of all of these conflicting and not conflicting factions, is going to be Matthew Van Beesen, your executive director, who of is, the New York Philharmonic. Yes, of the New York Philharmonic, yeah. who is going to really be the one who is leading whoever is on the search this particular search committee in ter- in sussing out the different candidates. Nick, can I just ask the the folks who are on your roster they know that this is part of the job, the fundraising, the labor disputes? They do indeed. Yes. I mean I I've, I've got a couple of um music directors, Yap van Sweden in Dallas and Andros Orozco Estrado in Houston. Luckily, they haven't run into any serious problems there financially. But uh, yes, I mean, we, we know there are many American orchestras that are struggling financially because the, the model they work to is, in some ways, you could almost say unsustainable long term. But the big orchestras in Boston, Chicago, New York, San Francisco and L.A., places like this, big cities, then it's probably not such a major, I mean, it's never easy, but it's a lesser problem there than than some of those orchestras that you have mentioned who've run into major problems um, in recent times. And clearly, the role of the music director, as you say, they've got to have special qualities because... If you, ha- if you find someone who has all the right attributes on the podium, but they can also shine off the podium and know how to raise money and how to interact with donors and sponsors and, and do it with ease. I'd like to play a little lightning round now of some categories that orchestras might be looking for that we might slot conductors into in terms of orchestra searches. And some of these, Zach, are borrowed from the Times article by your colleague, Michael Cooper. First of all, the wunderkind or younger conductor versus the veteran. How much do you think this plays into the search? And 
Are there any names that leap to mind? Wunderkinds, I mean, they're, for the National Symphony, I think a really interesting choice would be James Gaffigan, who is a rising American conductor. And may I say, on Nick's roster. I was going to say, somebody you might be (laughs) familiar with. I I was completely, which I did not know, but I mean, I... I, I don't know who is on Nick's roster other than the people he's just said. Um, so, no, who I have been really impressed by and I think w- is ready for a kind of substantial post in the U.S. and for a post that would re- that I think Deborah Rudder, the new head of the Kennedy Center, is really looking for somebody who can work across the center and who could really be a youthful, vibrant, really talented face for American music. Anastasia, who would you throw out in the Wunderkind or younger conductor category? I actually, I have been very impressed by what I've heard of, of Gaffigan's work. Uh, particularly, I would think I've heard him mostly in New York. He was an assistant conductor at the New York Phil for quite a long time. And you see him, Zach, in New York. I mean, in, in Washington rather than in New York. Obviously, we're still looking at a situation in which, I mean, from An- Nelson's in Birmingham on, there are situations in which it's po- it's certainly possible that one of these positions could be filled by somebody who has not yet made a debut. I think it helps, especially in America, for there to be more experience with somebody. But Nick, would you? I'm sure you would like to place your conductor. Well, well I, 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 it, it would be perhaps inappropriate for me to mention any names. I'm just looking at my office wall where I have these pictures of these conductors, and almost all of mine are already tied up with music directorships. Some of them have got two uh, orchestras rather than one. But I think if you, look at, if you look at younger conductors, a lot of them now, they do actually commit. I look at Vasily Petrenko, I manage, who went to Liverpool several years ago. Uh, by the time he leaves, whenever that will be, it'll be over 10 years. He lives in Liverpool. He's done a phenomenal job raising the level of the orchestra, uh, committing to education work. Uh, he roots for their soccer team. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> Petrenko, I'm not sure if he'd be uh, sort of widely embraced um, in the U.S. I'm not, I'm not suggest- no, I'm not suggesting him for this role at all. I was just saying that younger conductors do commit to their orchestras. Ah. And the, the younger ones that have been given the opportunities of being a music director are proving very, very well how, how effective they are in that. I mean, by committing themselves the city. Well, the, the, city, the city and also particularly the Kennedy Center, I, I feel like, and or maybe this is wishful thinking on my end, but I'm really hoping that this is an organization that is going to be doing a lot more collaborative work across their campus, you know. Mm. All right. So we've talked about who, who might be a good young conductor for Washington. How about New York? The hope that I and I know a lot of people I've spoken to have is for Esapekka Salonen. I mean, to me, there he's are a lot there. of candidates, and there is one correct candidate. Right, but because correct or not, but he said he he really he said several times over the last few years he really wants, and the reason he left L.A. was to spend much more time working as a composer. And he's about to become composer in residence with the New York Philharmonic. So the, All, the hope is that people are <laughs> he's phenomenal. I mean, he would be a phenomenal presence. Well, and I think it would be a wonderful for a composer. There's a real amazing tradition in the New York Philharmonic of composer music directors and so who has also shepherded a new concert hall indeed and so i mean obviously i think even in la there was a certain reticence to engage in again some of the tasks of an american music director but when it i mean i have been having trouble thinking of somebody else who if the role could be articulated to him in a way he would be comfortable with and would be to me 
the choice that would really cover all of the bases or more than anyone else that I can think of. Are there any venerable conductors who are leaping to mind or should it be an American conductor for an American orchestra? Have we reached a point in the 21st century where we think it's important to have a homegrown conductor or is only musicianship a consideration. Well, you know, as, as Zachary alluded to, you know, there's the, there's a fine tradition of the New York film in particular of composer conductors. And I, I was sorry, said, well, Mahler, but really the biggest obvious model is Bernstein. And there was such pride, I think, historically in the orchestra of having a conductor who was not from New York, but identified so closely with the city of New York. When Gilbert came along, there was such deep pride and uh, because he was a hometown boy, I think that's something to take into consideration as well. But I, frankly, I mean, I think a lot of that can be lip service and marketing. I mean, I, for instance, like the fact that Alan Gilbert was from New York didn't, I don't think, register for the vast majority of people in this city because what kind of what comes down is your vision and your music making, and so it's nice for a profile, but it's in terms of what actually ends up being the the work that gets done. I mean, I think... Well, the, for Bernstein, it was extremely important that he was an American. Oh, no, no, no. For, I think that an American can be... I think that, that can be... What it takes is just, I mean, is to taste. I mean, it, you, there are many Europeans who I think have a more sophisticated and more compelling vision of American music than a lot of Americans do. And so what you want is for somebody who can be giving us American and New York music. Exactly. No, I mean, I, I don't think that's such a, a key point. I mean, I think... Clearly, the, the breadth of repertoire a conductor can offer uh, is an important factor. It's very nice when you have a music director that has wide eclectic tastes uh, on repertoire. I mean, I know there are some orchestras that have conductors who specialize in a, in, in a specific area of repertoire, and they bring guest conductors in to cover other areas. But it's, it would be very nice to have a music director that, that can cover a wide repertoire. But I still also feel that whoever they end up choosing. Also, it's important. Every top orchestra also needs constant sort of um, orchestra building aspects to the daily work of polishing the orchestra. So if you want an orchestra to play at the very optimum level consistently, then, you know, there's always some fine tuning to be done on a daily basis with with any top orchestra, no matter how good they are. Can I just ask, do you have any women on your roster as conductors? I don't personally, no, no. Do you uh, see not, any nothing, women nothing, who would nothing. be in line for either of these positions? Um, well, I mean, the obvious names, are, you know, there, there are a few very good female conductors out there now. It's Susanna Malky and... Um, who is and, making uh, her New York Philharmonic debut in May. There you are, exactly right. So there are a few like that, but um, I would think New York Philharmonic are probably looking for someone who is even more established than, than Susanna is at this present time. Well, I mean, there is some movement. You know, the question is whether or not they'd pivot to such, certainly generation-wise. I'm not sure that anyone, with aside from a couple of very well-established conductors, Marin Alsop being one very prominent example, I'm not sure that any is sort of established enough unfortunately, to pivot into such a prominent role as the New York Philharmonic. You know, that may be, we may still be, oh, I don't know, a decade or more away from that. I'm sorry to say. But there has, I think, been a fair amount of movement at at more regional orchestras for women conductors. And and this whole situation is sort of a a, a massive game of musical chairs, isn't it? Because once one conductor starts moving, you start seeing the next one to three years-ish 
following, you see a lot more movement and sort of the, a re- rearranging of, of the ranks. I was I was just lucky enough to be in Los Angeles and hear Susanna Malki conduct um, Alice in Wonderland by Unsuk Chin at the LA Phil, and um, obviously this is an incredible talent, and we'll see how her debut goes. I mean, she I mean is having increasing experience at the major American orchestras, and I think if not now, we'll be ready very soon for an extremely prominent position. She's an incredibly talented person, so I, I hope so. How much do you think, and I'm throwing this out to everybody, the conductor's favorite repertoire plays into this? I spent years in Cincinnati, and we got to hear a lot of Estonian music when Pavel Yarvi was the conductor. It was Cincinnati, and we were not familiar with Estonian music before then. Does a conductor's predilection for a particular music play into this, especially when there's so much fundraising that's going to have to be going on for the new hall. Sometimes the, obviously the stuff that is sort of unique or not, if not unique, really repertory that a music director is passionate about will be fantastic. I mean, this was Nielsen, Carl Nielsen was a real passion of Alan Gilbert's and those were some of the best concerts that he gave. There was clearly an ability to articulate a vision in certain repertories. And you want, well, well, you want somebody who can, I mean, it's an impossible job in that you want somebody who can do everything, but then also you want somebody who you can, has a personality and who you can really get to know for, I mean, Chicago has been hearing a lot of Scriabin, <laughs> as, has, as did Philadelphia, because Ricardo Muzzi has a mystifying predilection for Scriabin symphonies. And so it's, that's what you're looking for, though. I mean, even if you don't love that, you're, you want to be taken along on a journey with this person. Also, the trust element is very important. You know, when, uh, when Simon Rattle started in Birmingham all those years ago, over a number of years, uh, he programmed very eclectic repertoire. He did it very well, and the audience trusted him and went with him and Vladimir Jorowski who I look after who is the music director of the London Philharmonic does the same thing in London and I said to Vladimir a few years ago I said it'll take you two or three seasons to build up a following and now it's happened so he can put on demanding challenging programs which are brilliantly done and the audience come along because they trust him it's as though I want you to hear this piece you don't know it but come along for the ride and you'll enjoy it and as he said, you know, the, the, the experience of going to a concert shouldn't be a passive experience all the time. You can go along and hear all your favorite symphonies and concertos, but at the same time, in the mix, there's got to be a balance where you're coming along and you're challenged uh, musically and intellectually a little bit. So one last question. Once upon a time, people like Eugene Ormandy or Sir George Schulte stayed with an orchestra for a long time, and you knew the sound of that orchestra because it had been shaped over a long time by those people. Alan Gilbert and Christoph Eschenbach are both leaving after seven seasons. Are we through with the era when a conductor is going to be able to put his stamp on an orchestra? You've tapped into one of my favorite rants, so thank you so much, Naomi. (laughs) I mean, we are in an era very clearly in which musicians, even if they stay, whether it's seven seasons or ten seasons or more, they're also juggling other commitments very frequently on other continents. They don't necessarily have time, even when they're conducting a so-called full season, that they're there for, you know, however many weeks, three months or whatever it works out to. 
how much building, how much refining, how much vision work can you do in that amount of time? You, know, you can make your stamp in terms of repertoire, but how do you sculpt a sound? And how do you build a trust with an audience? How do you build that trust with uh, musicians? How do you build that trust with the executive organization? When it's in your date book and at the same time your mind might be somewhere else, literally somewhere else altogether. This is a reality is that, I mean, I think that everything in society and culture is moving more quickly and so I think some kind of the tenures might be a little shorter and then and, and as you say orchestras pretty much sound more the same now effect for for better and worse and so and so what becomes more and more important in that context is again and not how they play but what they play and what they do and in the community and a kind of other aspects of the orchestra beyond the Philadelphia sound. I mean, the, the fact that you basically have the same orchestra in many, many places makes the way that you define yourself be a function of repertory and of community engagement. Well, I agree. The trend, I mean, if you, if you look back at the Ormandy years, there are not many conductors now who are staying 20 years plus. I mean, Simon Rattle would have done 18 years with the Berlin Philharmonic. That's an exception. But I think it's the times we live in. I think the normal stretch of eight or ten years, if it's going well, it seems to be the norm. But again, I think if, if the love affair and the chemistry is really strong, if the working conditions, you know, a really fine hall with a fine acoustic are really good, then, of course, that can attract a conductor to stay on. Uh, there are some conductors uh, who have stayed too long in a certain role. But I think where there's a situation where the conductor's really happy, there's more work to be done, the management want them to stay, the orchestra want them to stay, they'll stay. You, you can't generalize over that point, I don't think, to be honest. Well, thank you all for joining us. A pleasure, Later. Naomi. Thank you so much. This has been Conducting Business. Our guests were Anastasia Tsoulkas from NPR Music, New York Times freelance critic Zachary Wolf, and IMG Artists Vice President Nick Mathias. Our producer is Brian Wise. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.